Today on Talk About That, John absorbs all the responsibility in the room and ponders life as an oil baron. Meanwhile, I have car trouble and prepare to do stand-up on a show with a WWE Hall of Famer. Also, a conversation about sheep, honesty, and manipulation. Today's episode is not sponsored by Eavesdropping, the absolute best way to lower your self-esteem. It's go time. It's another Monday, another talk about that. I'm John here with Johnny. Yes, sir. We are living the dream. It is. Uh, it's a ball night. We got uh, the Vols versus Alabama. Yeah, these late when games, this releases, we will have already lost by three touchdowns. Well, it's a twenty-one point spread. I think. Oh, that's about right. So that's what can, I'm in my head. I was just thinking about three touchdowns. I think the whole gambling thing, like, is so interesting because it's basically people are now. Like no longer does your team have to be any good. Right. You're just like now. Oop, if they just cover the spread, they're just then less bad than I thought. It's another game you're trying to win within the game uh-huh. that you, the team can't let you down on just because they're always perennially bad. Perennially bad. Tough word, but I yeah. get it. If you keep trying, you always. Can get there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't see. I don't see a way forward. Honestly, for us. I mean, if we if we were to upset Alabama this year. It would be crazy, right? Well, we had thirty people leave our team between last year and this year. Yeah, but if you read the articles on what those players have done elsewhere, mm-hmm. really only one or two have had any significance. Yeah, they were underdeveloped. I think they here were people, as well. John. Why don't you? <laughs> I'm not saying they have no significance. <laughs> <laughs> These losers. Oh my goodness! I'm pretty pleased. I'm pretty pleased with you know this is the most offensive output. Uh huh. Through the first six games that we've had, most points scored since yeah. 1915. Wow. My show has a lot of offensive output, uh, <laughs> I find. It's, Speaking of show, I dude. I offend people. Great show at Zany's. If you guys missed it, man, you missed a treat. Man, did you blow it. Oh, it was a fun night. We found a way to still talk about Zany's again, well, we even to. after it happened. You did amazing, man. It was fun, and it was. I appreciate you coming. It meant a lot to me. There were so many friends there, and it was really great. People I hadn't seen in a long time were there. Yeah, um, which it made me feel like uh, maybe I'm a better friend. I don't know. Like I always feel like I'm a terrible friend, especially this last few years of traveling so much. And then when you're like, "Hey, I'm doing a thing," and then people come that you haven't seen in three, four years, you're like, "Oh, maybe they like still like me." That's right. cool. Right, it I made do me assume, feel good. Yeah, I assume if I haven't seen people that they're mad at me. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of my base assumption. That's a, is that an enneagram thing? Uh, yes. That's a mental illness thing. <laughs> <laughs> you mad, buddy? A six, as my therapist friend would say, it is. Yeah. Uh, I have a tendency to absor- absorb all the responsibility in okay. the room. Right. So yes, if a relationship is not has not been tended to just for circumstantial reasons, yeah, I still feel responsible. Like, oh, oh I definitely have that. Yeah. Oh, I definitely have that. Yeah. And I try to reach out or like if somebody's not, yeah, if there's no communication, I don't go. I'm not, I'm the last person to say like phone lines go both ways. Like I just assume like I should have reached out. I only pull that if someone's mad at me and they're getting into logical, like they're starting yeah. to tick off the list of things now. Right. Like, like, hey, listen, you never called. It was six weeks. And then I'm like, yeah, but you didn't call in that six weeks either. Well, like pastors we... get it like in droves, right? Everything. People lay out a church on purpose to see if the pastor will call them like yeah. that old move. We've really tried to squelch that here. Like I actually yeah. talk about that scenario in the membership class. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, look, if, if you're going to be here and you miss church for three weeks and like, we're having a conversation about whether or not one of us called you 
or whether someone randomly in the church called you, then our real problem is that you missed church for three weeks and had not any real relationships in your own community to even notice. Like, and, and apparently you missed church for three weeks and it affected nothing at church. <laughs> so yeah. like, you know, like there's some people that miss church for three weeks and, you know, man, we can't function because we're all depending on each other for things. So before you just get upset about us calling, like, let's make sure yeah. you're pursuing people so that it makes sense that every, you know, you're going to notice. So. Message received, John. Wow, Johnny. I think you know why I've called you to this podcast I, I'm not going to be here tomorrow, by the way. <laughs> See, you're going We're to... We're recording this on Saturday. I'm going to Cairo. No, Egypt. Warner Rob. Warner Rob. Yeah, Cairo. Oh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get to the airport. I'm on a steamship. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. No, I am on... Uh, I'm going to uh, Warner Robins, Georgia. Oh. Scenic and exotic Warner Robins, Georgia. See, that's north, right? It is south of Atlanta, southeast. Oh, wow. Okay. My bad. Yeah. Southeast of Atlanta. For some, for some reason, I was thinking that was like down. How would Georgia be north of us? I meant north Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't own a globe. <laughs> I, I was a geography teacher. No, yeah. I didn't mean north of us. I meant north in Georgia. Yeah. But no, it's, no, it's southern south, south Georgia. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not southern Georgia, but it's south of Atlanta for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited. It'll be fun. But yeah, I'm going to miss. I'm sorry. I'm going to miss. Are you service. doing a Sunday morning like thing? No, I just have to drive. It's five and a half hours. So I got to get up and go get there because I have to sound check at four or whatever. Wow. So I'll miss church. Do you ever fly into Atlanta from Nashville? Not usually. It's not my favorite. Some people really like it. Like yeah. it's so big. I don't like gigantic airports. Yeah. And plus, like, I would still have to rent a car, which is a nightmare right now. There's a rental car shortage. Yeah. And then, and the rental cars, so the rental cars are really like jacked up. The prices are so jacked up. So I'd pay like three times the price to drive another hour and a half. Yeah. And then you got to go hang out at the airport for an hour before your flight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I could have just drove it. So I just, plus I have a hybrid now. So I'm just like, that's why I got it. So I could just. Sure. I've put, I've put 23,000 miles on my new car since March. I bought it in March. Yeah. Wow. So I've been driving some miles, bro. That's uh, it is, yeah. It's a lot. It's too many. Yeah, it's too many. My you wife's my wife's car's dying. It's drinking oil. Oh, you ever have that where your car just starts like? You mean all cars don't drink oil? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dusty Slay, my buddy, has a bit about that about how like uh, when his car just slowly leaks oil all the time. So he goes. Uh, somebody's like, you need to get your oil changed. He's like, I'm changing it right now. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I've actually said that over the years. So I shouldn't make it a funny joke. It's yeah. always being changed. I've actually like, honey, we don't have to. I mean, we'll have to change the filter once every it hour. It stays clear. Yeah. 20,000 miles or so. Yeah. <laughs> add some more fresh. Oil is always It's expensive though. It. It's like, I remember when oil was like a couple dollars a quart. Now it's like, because we're having to add oil now every few weeks to Curry's car. It's like $8. Yeah. It's bananas. So I'm like, it's all right, synthetic? we got it. Uh, no, not synthetic. Oh, well. Like if we were going to go synthetic and just be like purists about it, that's what we do when we used to get the oil change. We get, get the synthetic, it's a high mileage car or whatever. But now we're just like, we're just giving this thing a drink basically. <laughs> like you're out digging in the backyard. Yeah. We're <laughs> renting, we're renting oil. We're not buying it at this point. <laughs> so, Oh, that's great. Wouldn't it be great? You know, how do we not know that we're not, wait. How do we know mm-hmm. that we're not sitting on oil reserves right now? Like, oh, you mean here, here in Tennessee? Yeah. Well, I guess don't people know? Like Dop- that's a Doppler. That's, I don't that know. sounds like a really dumb question. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like you you think it's a smart question, but it's a really dumb but question. Do we really know? Has someone done like, some sort how of? How do we know the sky's not red? <laughs> 
Like, I think they have equipment to study how, what's underneath you, right? Wow. See, you're making an assumption. You have all this faith in science. <laughs> well, surely, if they knew it was there. People discover things all the time. You think you think that's what's going to pay off the church. You're like, we're on 28 I acres think, of I need oil. to go get an oil rig. You're Uncle Jed. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, John's a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it's possible. I mean, they you know, yeah. they keep finding dinosaur bones and stuff Nat- at the Museum of Natural History. Yeah. The places they found them were like Iowa. Okay, you know, it's fine. It's like, just, you know. Then one day, John was preaching to some dude, <laughs> and up through the ground <laughs> come a bubbling crude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. When when bubbling crude comes up in my sermon, it's using that oil, if you know what I mean. Hey-oh. <laughs> Junk can be a little. Crazy. I got to I got to see you preach last week though, and you did great. Well, thanks. You did good. Word you're teaching about uh, the shepherd and yeah. the Psalm, Psalm 23. Yeah, amazing, is, amazing book, you guys. Really short little book written in 1970. It's called the Bible. It's maybe you heard of it. No, um, that's, I think it's, the Bible's a little older. <laughs> uh, it's a, called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. Okay. And no relation uh, to Tim, no relation that I know of. Okay. Uh, but he was, he was born in East Africa and he's an actual shepherd. Uh, so then he owned his own like ranch up in, I think, uh, Pacific Northwest area. And so like for 10 years, he was, he then had his own flock as well. And so just, it's very interesting to kind of see the things that, that we just sort of make into these metaphoric comforting statements out of like Psalm 23. He's like, actually this had a real pastoral yeah. application. We haven't got to this yet in the, in the message, but like, well, last week I did, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Like in actuality, it's almost impossible for a sheep to lie down. Like that, that's just not a normal thing. Only like a, a shepherd's great care causes them to do that. And he goes through like the four things they have to be free from, free from fear, free from this friction with other sheep, free from parasites, like, you know, all the things that would, that would, you know, do mm, that. That'll preach. Mm, it did. <laughs> how many, how many right now have parasites on you? <laughs> Come on now. Mothers don't look at your children. <laughs> if you're 30 and you're still living at home, you're causing your family not to be able to lie down in green pastures. <laughs> you need to get off the video games and restore her soul. <laughs> Wait, I don't know. Yeah. That's good. Did you like that? I like that. That's, That's pretty good. good. This is why I didn't preach. The uh, the other one I love is coming is uh, he prepares a table before me. Yeah. Like have we, I've never had paid attention to the fact that it's like all of a sudden David is changing metaphors and that we were all just okay with it. Yeah. He goes from being a sheep. Now he's preparing a table. Now he's eating like a human at a table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God doesn't prepare an actual table for him per se where he can see God do that. Well, that's actually a name, like Mesa is like a name throughout multiple languages, and it refers to like the highlands that, so all of this is about the shepherd taking the sheep on a journey because it's nomadic shepherding. Yeah. And so they, he prepares and it sort of rotates them among fields. And so there's a time in the year and he's already gone ahead of them up into the highlands. He's, you know, prepared all of this amazing, this amazing place for them. Yeah. They can't be prepared on its own. It would just be desolate, but planting and pulling up the roots and, and the rocks and all the stuff that's in the way. 
And then he takes them on this journey. And that's the whole valley of the shadow of death and prepares a table before them in the presence of their enemies. It's usually like in a plateau area highland. Right. Like a table like uh, uh, geologically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And like, and there's usually a ridge around it where literally wolves and others, you may see them up there watching the sheep Mm. because there's no place for them to hide, you know, necessarily. So in the presence of their enemies, he's prepared this place for them where they're safe because as long as the shepherd's near, the, the others won't come to, to take them out. So like, this is fascinating, you know, fascinating. Yeah. You want to be a shepherd now, don't you? Guys, I've already put in my application. And you want to raise alpacas? It would be alpaca. Were cool. We we had some alpaca experiences up in the. Uh, we did up in Bolivia. Yeah, in the Cochabamba, uh, Cochabamba, the, the Alps, in the Alps, is it in the Andes? Oh, in the Andes, yeah, the, the Alps. Alps. Some... <laughs> it's, geography is a key. We don't, <laughs> there could be oil there too, for all we know. We don't. Why don't we ruin the Swiss Alps, John, by digging the? <laughs> You want to bring in some fracking oh my goodness. equipment? Good grief. You guys are all the same. Fracking is a word yeah. that I I think when they made up the word fracking, it was to create negative connotation yeah. about what they were doing. Like it just, some words. It sounds negative. Was it onomatopoeia? Is that the, the yeah. you know, it, it sounds like, man, that guy fracked that land. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, he fracked and, it. And so you're like, that's, it just, it just has that feel to you. Like, wow, what a monster. You know? <laughs> But, yes, it was the Andes, which the reason I know that is because I always think of your line from our rap that we wrote down there. Oh, we always yeah, the did. Andes, better bring your lashes because alpaca going to stampede. No. Wait. No, it's uh, better watch out because alpaca is going to stampede. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember what it was. It's something about nauseous. You, you better, you better wear galoshes. You, you better, better wear galoshes to the Andes. I don't know. It's a whole thing. We were rapping, though, bro. Oh, we. We were hip hop legends. It was fun. It's a good memory, <sighs> John. Did you look back at the memories and see? There's a lot of sighing going on. Yeah, like I think you and I struggled to reconcile our evangelical pasts with the good memories that we had. No, I have a lot of great memories. I think uh, I think the Living Hope Center is like uh, terrific. And yeah. Um, yeah, be a great thing for our listeners to support if they're looking to it help would. kids in other countries. Go check Living out Center dot dot com. Dot com. Yeah. There's no way to know. No. So, um, the web, the World Wide Web. Yeah. Yeah, it's a children's home for uh, for people, and it's so great there. And, uh, of course, we helped build it. Yep. I mean, I don't know how much help we really did, let's be honest. Uh, we did quite You're a like, bit. I helped. It is BlivingHopeCenter.com, by the way. So. <laughs> how did you help exactly, John? You were like, should we check for oil first <laughs> before we even – this this whole thing can be paid for. We find oil here. They're like, John, just paint the door. Listen, we told you to paint the door. That's all you had to do. <laughs> John's out digging for oil again. <laughs> yeah, I did dig some holes there. And we yeah. turns out we were in a landfill. Yeah. Remember that? No. Yeah. So when we put in the playground, we had to dig these really deep. Oh, I didn't know that. I think it was like a building site but because we were finding glass and bricks and all kinds of Correct. They stuff. had whatever they'd built. They had buried all the stuff there. But I remember coming across some. What what appeared to be some sort of like lime green organic substance. Yeah. Almost like, did they do nuclear testing here or something in this like sort oh. of rural area? Of, I'm sure it'll be safe for the kids. It'll be fine. I've, <laughs> OSHA was not there. That was not, they don't, they don't have OSHA in Bolivia, I don't think. No. 
They, I'm sure it's called something else. Bosha. Yeah, like, what's the screen stuff? It tastes lime. It tastes like, oh, please don't put that in your mouth. John's t- is this oil? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It was fun. It was a good trip. But, I mean, again, I look back and, and I, yeah, that's the one I don't have any, I mean, man, you, you, it doesn't get more pure in religion, I think, than serving children and helping. And, and I support the Blue and Hope Center, so it's not just like I have to go. But one of the interesting people, things about missionaries that I've discovered uh, is, like, how savvy they have to be about culture, stuff that you would not think of. For instance, we fill up a shipping container yeah. with tools and the playground equipment, which was about, like, $35,000 of playground equipment. It was yeah. a gigantic playground set. And it gets on the shipping container with all the tools, saws and drills and drill presses and all this stuff. And you kind of tuck it all underneath the equipment because when they're unloading the shipping container, people go in and they steal. They see a DeWalt drill and they Mm -hmm. just steal it. And so literally like the missionaries, I hope I'm not talking out of school, but they have to learn like who the people are at the shipping place so that it protects the shipment so that it makes it to the mission site. I, what I, I was telling this story yesterday to my mom, oddly enough. Like, yeah. I remember being in the airport, and the, uh, they would steal your, your stuff. We would bring in also supplies. So, yeah. so the container went through the, obviously, ocean customs. I mean, I mean, am I remembering wrong? I remember. No, no, no. What I remember him, was him, like, we went through, and they were going to steal a bunch of the food we'd brought. Oh, boy. And he said, all right. He said, no, y'all can't bring this in. We're going we're gonna to dispose of it. He mm-hmm. goes, fine. Let's all go out back right now, and we'll burn it together. Like he would call them on their bluff, oh right, kind of thing. Yeah, and they're, like, they're saying it's inappropriate to have this, and he's like, "Well, you're just going to steal it." No, 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 no. And no, he goes, well, no let's we're go gonna, burn it. Yeah, let's yeah. go burn it. We'll go burn it. This together. is like Solomon, dude. Yeah, and the person let's, who really loves let's the cut pudding the food cup. in half. That's right. <laughs> Whoever really loved the pudding cup, that's who the true <laughs> no, owner is. Give it to the guys. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, but it really was like. There's another set of, of rules, and that's the thing I was telling my, my mom. I don't know why we were talking about this yesterday. It's like, you know, there's just as much corruption in our place. It's just oh, in, yeah, in, different, yeah, yeah. in different parts. Well, it's more, uh, it's more uh, you know, centralized. It's bureaucracy. It's right. red tape. It's, you know, we saw that during, you know, we'd, we'd see it during the Obama administration where, like, uh, people's tax exemption statuses would be held up in court. Yeah. You know, it would be like red flagged and you, you're held up yeah. if you didn't align with extreme uh, liberal policies. And you probably see it now with left-wing organizations being blacklisted, yeah. uh, you know, under Trump. Like it, it's, we do it by the book, but we just, we write the book. You know what I'm saying? It's not Boy, necessarily like, guys. you know, reach. when you, when you make the rules, you can just be like, oh, I just made a law that now the thing that you were doing is now like uh, an ordinance yeah. against it. So it's like it's creepier and it's shadier, but it still happens. You know, something I tell Sadie all the time since she was little, and I don't know if she she's starting to understand now the joke a little bit. But I'll be like, she'll be like, um, hey, can I go do this this afternoon? I'm like, no, no, we've just been going all week and you've got a test tomorrow. You need to stay home. You know, what, well, dad? You know, I was like, look, I don't make the rules around here. Like, <laughs> after I just made a rule. Yeah, you made the rules. You know, and I, I think it is. I mean, you have a, you have other ways. It, it's everywhere. Whether or not you call it corruption, it, it's, it's a, I don't know if it's corruption as much as it's just sort of the way things work. You don't like, call it corruption if you're the party in power. You're like, well, this is just to Why protect this people. Is how we, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this just seems like a common sense law to me. I wonder if we have it though at every level of our own lives. See, I, I don't. Yeah, I consider myself a man. You just went deep, bro. You went there. I did. Like, 
like before recovery, I considered myself mm-hmm. like the most honest guy mm-hmm. that I know. Like, you know that about me. Like if I, if I thought I told something that might be a yeah. little bit, I'll call you. Hey man, when I said 15 minutes, it really was 25. All right. Like I just was thinking, I just said it kind of thing, you know? So I kind of thought, wow, I'm this brutally honest person. And then when I began to really look into how much I unintentionally exaggerate to make myself look better yeah, with just, it's not often adding details, it's omitting details. Yeah. And I don't mean like everybody needs to know all the stuff in my life, but, but just allowing the facade of it to look a certain way to remain or persist in someone's mind without correcting that, you know, and I still don't know where that is, but I thought I'm not honest. I mean, I think I'm honest. It's just two different kinds of honesty. Mm -hmm. One's a technical, the rule that I say anything technically that would be, you know, a lot of technicalities and not, and I started realizing if you're really putting, your words through that sort of rubric <laughs> that the rubric itself is probably a problem. You know? mm-hmm. So yeah, there's like a, yeah, there's a way to manipulate people where you both come out happy, but you still manipulated. You still, yeah, you still made things like I was telling somebody the other day about like, there's a thing, there's sales training. There's like an institution called Sandler sales and they teach you like sales techniques, but a lot of it can extrapolate to like business or just how you interact with every day with people just to get what you want from them. And sometimes some of it's not all bad, but it's, it's definitely like there's a trick to stuff. Like if I get to a venue and, um, they didn't have things on my rider that were there. Like I need a guitar stand. I need a whatever, or maybe I was supposed to bring it and didn't bring it. Yeah. And I go to ask them, Instead of saying, like, do you have a guitar stand, you could say, man, you guys don't have a guitar stand, do you? And, like, when you add a negative to it, it makes them want to override that and be right and be more helpful. Hmm. And that's like a trick. It's like a little thing. Like, you wouldn't want to do this, would you? Right. It's man, Tom Sawyer. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah, wow. It's like that's a little thing that has kind of like worked its way into my personality. And I don't think it's always like malicious, but it is a it is a thing. Yeah. You know? Interesting. And how much of that is wisdom and how much of that is like I think about that in communication. When you practice sermons, um, which I didn't used to do until the last several years, even if I'm not with someone else though, I read through. Yeah. Usually just because like there may be a quote or something, I want to make sure mm-hmm. that I that I've said it out loud once because speaking yeah. it is different different than reading it. You know, right. obviously I wrote it down. I know it's there. Yeah, yeah, I've read yeah. it, but um, I mean I don't just go to sermons.com. I just push print <laughs> sermons.org sermons.net dot preach. So, but I mean, in doing that, there's that whole like. Like when I get done writing a message and mm-hmm. this is just something personal that I do, like I always like, God, would you, would you breathe into this message to like yeah. be what you want it to be? Like there's that realization that I don't take myself as seriously as I used to. This is a moment in time. This yeah. is not a home run or not home. Like did the things that are important about Jesus get communicated in a way that encouraged and equipped people today? Yeah. This is going to be one drop in that bucket. And if he's not, it's that whole, um, unless the Lord builds the house, it's that, it's that Psalm 22, jeez, oh, 
Psalm, unless the Lord is Psalm one twenty. Oh, it'd be so. It would be if you so. Had it, uh, man, you'd be so holy right now. I, I, well, I'm gonna go look it up. Okay. And then if I got it right, then hold on. It is Psalm 127. I was right. Hey, I'm not holy, but unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. So like there's this, yeah. there's this sort of contradiction. Wait, wait. Because you're supposed to be still laboring. Yeah. Those who build but it. He's, but he's Unless Lord's he building builds it. it. Like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's building it? Him or us? Right. So we are building yeah, it together. Interesting. But that whole concept. So, I mean, I get like, unless the Lord does something yeah. with what I'm doing, but I still need to do it. You know? Yeah. I think you should be like, uh, there's a guy, Sean Groves, who used to be a CCM like star. And now he speaks for compassion and he teaches a class on how to give persuasive talks. So if you're raising money for an organization, right. this is how to make your thing more impactful. This is how to tell your story of your charity or your yeah. child sponsorship organization. So a lot of people would be like, if you're going to go completely to the other extreme, you'd be like, ah, oh, we just don't manipulate people. You just come out and ask them for money. And if they say, and it's like, no, there's a way to tell your story that's persuasive, that has all the right elements in it, that it's going to make people want, like, that's okay. So to your point, like, that's, that's the tricky thing is like, where is too far? Like, I'll give you another example of the thing that, like, the guitar stand's not a better example. A better example is when I come in and I want, like, a recording. Yeah. Like, I'm in a nice church, and I know they could probably just put it in a USB thing uh-huh. and, like, give me my feed. Now I can have all that material that I did that night, and I, I think can that go thing over. is called a thumb drive. A thumb drive. There you go. So I would say, I would not say, could you guys, I go, there's no way, there's no way you guys could give me a recording of tonight. And it makes them go, yeah, it'd be easy. All we got to do, we got this high angle board. We got this. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, <laughs> can you tell we me? We got ex- this souped up. Anyway. <laughs> can you tell me exactly what they said again? No. Hey, we, you kidding me? <laughs> Lucky, get over here. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's different. But sometimes you go too far. Like, I remember there's a Regan bit where he goes, I was at a restaurant and the table behind me said, is there any way that I could get a glass of water? And then he goes, any way? Like, what's the waiter going to say? No. I, there's no way. He goes, legend foretold that there used to be a man who knew how to get glasses of water. But he died long ago, and with him the secret. How I wish there was a way. <laughs> so yeah, you can go a little too far with it, but yeah, I mean, is there any way you could do this? See, I think some of that is just southern, yeah, charm a little bit. Like it's, it's like a, you're being diffusing by right. saying like you're being overly, you're being humble. Yeah, it's like when you get on the plane and you go, "I'm so sorry, can I get by you?" It's like move. It's my seat. Like right. you're in my like, like you shouldn't be rude, but it's like. I'm so sorry to make you get up. Like you knew somebody was going right. to want that seat next to you, but the southern the southern in us makes us just be like, I'm so sorry for existing. I just, if I could just get by. I just believe you. I don't know why we want to attract more flies, but we attract more flies. Yeah. With, what is it with with honey than vinegar? Vinegar. That's what it yeah. was. And I I don't really use that aphorism often, obviously. Right. But like I do believe, and even Proverbs, the whole book is about. You could, you could make a case that Proverbs is telling you how to manipulate people and win friends and and power in some areas because it's telling you, yeah. hey, you know, 
Um, I think you got to know what your heart is. Maybe that's the thing. Go. It's like Come if on, you're guys. like if I just want a guitar stand or a recording my thing. Like that's not that's okay to be like. What's the best way to not come off weird to this person? And maybe yeah. that's not. But yeah, if you're like trying to literally like manipulate your, like you see, you read these old marriage books, and especially if like the Christian ones, and they yeah. just feel so manipulative to me. Like, here's how you get what you want, ladies. Right. And some of them were like, use literally like use sex to get what you want if from you, your if husband. You, if you'll be cleaning the house all day. She'll yeah. Want, yeah. Th- there was a it's lot just of gross. that. Yeah. And you're like, this is just manipulation. And like, this is ma- the makings for abusive, like atmosphere. Well, if nothing else, transactional, you know, it, yeah. Transactional love. You're making it into a, you know, don't do this because it helps her do this because it helps you. Right. And that's, that gets to the heart. You know, I've actually, you know, been even in, like, even I've seen people use love languages that way. Sure, you give a little her what you speak her language a little while, she'll speak your language a little while. Everybody's happy. It's like, okay, that shouldn't be probably like your your goal in the outset. It should be like, how do I really hear my partner, yeah. and how do I? The way I've always always understood his approach to that particular part of the love language was in in truly like crisis laden marriage situations. Mm-hmm. Usually, one is coming for help and not the other. Uh-huh. And that one is focusing completely on the problems of the other uh-huh. because that's the crisis in their mind. And the his whole thing is almost like, again, sowing and reaping, like, look, you need to focus on you. you. You need to focus on what you can do. You cannot change what they're doing. Yeah, What you can do is love them. And understand where what their needs are and begin to try to meet those needs. And generally, when you do that, the kind of the law of sowing and reaping or the way life in Christ works is that, you know, it's it's golden rule. If you will, if you will do that, they will begin to reciprocate that without you having to ever tell them yeah. all the things that you need or demand your own way. So it's like a take a take a last approach and then allow God to take care of pulling things. But you're right. All of those things can be manipulated. Out of that into you do what they want for a while, you'll mm-hmm. get what you want. And and then, and then you get this expectation, too, that, like, if if it doesn't happen the minute that you – like, if they don't reciprocate immediately, you're already, like, ready to just give up on the whole thing. Right. Well, I, I, I met you halfway. Yep. Like, it feels very – it's just – again, it teaches us to be kind of transactional if we're not careful, so – I don't, know. I don't know how to not be, you know, and, and, and not to go deep into that conversation, but that that's a constant, you know, with the book release or with your show or with whatever, you know, when, when you have an event, you have a moment and you're trying to gain. Yeah. Think about the words we use. Followers. Yeah. When we're a podcast, we're going to ask people here in a few minutes in case you guys don't know. We're going to ask you to go leave ratings and reviews and right. like to help us. There's metrics yeah. associated with everything. Even in the most pure thing, it feels like there's still a thing of like, yeah, this this has a give and a take and there's expectations on it. I think the reason I stick with things longer than I should even sometimes <laughs> is because I never get metrics that I want on almost anything in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just true. I know some people that I feel like all they do is win. Maybe they don't, but all they do is win. Like, you know, they spit on the sidewalk and hair grows. You know what I'm saying? Like When they walk into the building, everybody's hands go up and they stay there? Uh, all they do is win. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's what, exactly what I mean. Everybody break out into... and it, But it's a... When I lose... Lose, again, I'm using words like win and lose. Uh-huh. But when I'm not achieving the expected or idealized 
outcome in the metrics. Oh, you had it right. Losing. Losing. Yeah. <laughs> you, what it does though, is it purifies, it clarifies, it doesn't uh-huh. have to purify, but it clarifies mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, like I get guys, in case you don't know this, John and Johnny don't do this podcast because we make money off of it. <gasps> <laughs> we don't do this podcast because we have the number of listeners that, quite honestly, we think the podcast is is probably worthy of. Oh like, boy, now we're getting into guys. This it couldn't be any better. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like I think you know. And I was telling someone the day you know I was writing it, I had to write up something for somebody. I was like, hey, we have a small and very loyal and awesome listening audience that engages with us, and it's yeah. great. And, you know, me and my best friend get to sit and have a conversation about important things and fun things all together. Like at the end of the day, the value of it, there's a value in it. Now, do I, do, would I like those metrics? I would. But not having them at least for a season, because I'm sure this is going to take off any minute, bro. Oh, right. That, I mean, that's what will make this all the more sweet. Well, I don't know if it will or not. And hopefully we're going to abandon all the people who've loved us. Well, too. we'll be like, yeah. uh, they'll be like, ah, I liked them in the early days. <laughs> They're too big They got now. too cool for school. They're just, yeah. But I mean. I think it's okay to say there's value in it. And then same thing with writing. Like mm-hmm. I told someone yesterday, I had a writing call there, you know, look at an, another possible book project. And I was like, look, there's two things you don't get into for the metrics or the money. Yeah. Ministry and writing. It's like, so my wife is super pleased that I chose both of those. Yeah, exactly. Know? But I mean, at the end of the day, there has to be in comedy. I think is another one of those things. Like you're not going to do that. You can't do it forever without some level of metrics, unless you have another job the whole time. Right. Like there's a practicality to it, but there's a value in a, I don't know, sweetness. I think is a, a good word. There's a sweetness to go. Oh, I see something I enjoy about this, regardless of the outcomes. Yeah, I think that's when I knew I was supposed to do comedy is I thought I would do this for for free. I, I mean, I had a, a mind on a goal. The goal was, what if this could be my job? But it wasn't like a dollar amount was attached to it. It was like one dollar more than I could than I was making at the current job so that I could justify. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it, didn't, have, it didn't have like a thing of like, and I'll be famous and I'll be on Jimmy Fallon. It was like. If I could just figure out a way to trick people into letting me do this forever, that would be incredible. So that's when you knew that, like, yeah, it's the whole thing about what the world needs is people who've been set on fire. So go do what sets you on fire and then the world will be better. You know, yeah. like when comedy, when I discovered it, I was like, it set me on fire. And then I was like, I began to work hard at it. Yeah. So that's when you know something's legit. And so the metrics are more important to other people than to me. I try not to let them be as important to me. I really try hard. Yeah. But the people who book you, it's important to them sometimes. And that's when you get pulled in. Because if they're looking at you and eight other people and the eight other people have a million Facebook followers and they're like, yeah, your jokes are funny, but whatever. And then then you get pulled into that world. You don't mean to, but it just is it starts to matter more than it should to you. I want – this is – I think maybe this is like an Enneagram thing too. I don't know. What I want because I've wrestled it so long is team relationships that others who it doesn't affect them – this is the myth in my mind and maybe it's true. I do meet marketing minds, people made differently than me, mm-hmm. that they don't seem like they're poisoned by the metrics probably because they're working in industries where the metrics aren't about them yeah. usually. They can I mean, look at it just like as right. objectively. And they see value in it's things static. without it being connected to their personal value. 
Yeah. They can praise things or they can critique things equally in you that you can't do in yourself. And there's a yeah. value to that. I like that. Like, I think I used to be that way about politics. Yeah. Because I could just look at it and be like, oh, I don't get into that stuff. Yeah. And now I feel like it. I see I see the people behind the issues yeah. more. And I'm like, oh, I can see why somebody's really upset about this. Yeah. And I used to not understand it. I'd be like, why are you getting so political? And now I understand why people get upset. Was it you that told me, and I'm, gosh, I'm going to botch this. The, the, someone was using the metaphor of there's certain things like you reach into this hole to pull out this rock that's plugging up this well or whatever. And you realize there's a chain attached to the bottom of it. You thought it was just a rock you could move. Yeah. And when you begin to pull it out, there's a bunch of stuff attached so far down deep in the hole. You're just pulling now at this chain hand over fist and you keep finding things. Oh no, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know where that metaphor came from, but that's kind of how like it feels Mm -hmm. that you think I'm going to engage this. Yeah. Whether it's, politics or racism or whether it's you're engaging doing some work on yourself through recovery yeah. or enneagram or yeah. therapy. there's roots or, to yeah. it there's other things yeah you're not gonna just pull a rock out and go oh the well's open like you're, well you're, it's like therapy like you started counseling now and it's like yeah that's how it is when you decide to start peeling the onion that first decision is a decision to go down the rabbit hole of your consciousness and your yeah. issues and i think you get past the illusion that not going down it, and it is a choice. Yeah, and you can be. I don't. I don't know if there's. I don't know if a six. It's possible for us to be blissfully ignorant. Like I don't do that well. No, I think I. I'm. Well, if, you, if you're saying because I'm, you think that I'm a six. I think yeah. If anything, it's the other. It's you overcoach your life to death. Oh yeah. You know, and you make the people around you miserable because you overcoach them too. Yeah. And, or they at least have to watch you overcoach yourself. Yeah. You know. Well, <laughs> and then you think they're the dumb ones because, like, how can you not see this? Like, you should be overcoaching yourself, too. Like, yeah. You do, though. You'll look at, we do this for each other. We each hit moments, dark moments where, and usually it's around right before or right after yeah. some major career event. Yeah, yeah. And we're having to process it. And it usually doesn't lead to all good things. I think we're old enough now. I've had enough experiences that something something my therapy friend told me this week. He was so great. He was like, in his marriage before they had done some you know work and got gone through, they were doing IFS training, internal family systems. He said we would have a big blow up, and it was like a two and a half day process mm-hmm. of we were okay, but we weren't normal. We were talking, but it was kind of cold. He said, now that we have these tools, he said, those blow-ups still happen sometimes. Yeah. He said, but it's like an hour and a half huh? because we're so aware of the pattern. And I was telling someone else in a either a, a coaching call or some call we were having, a, a mentorship call. I was like, look, the, the goal, you have to change your goal. The goal is not – and it can be a goal, but it's probably not realistic that you're not going to keep having whatever that thing is. You know, like, I think we just think, I'm going to beat this. Yeah. I'm going to beat this thing. But the chain's always attached (laughs) to the rock. As long as you're human, the chain's always attached. In fact, even the chain attached to that humanity is actually where a lot of your value and your nuance and the intricacies of how you're made are there. Like, it's not all your parts that within you are not bad. Like, they're just activated to negative places. And then, you know, things can be aligned or misaligned. Mm -hmm. Like, if you throw out, like, it's like ambition. 
I struggle so much with that. But I don't need to throw out all ambition. Like there's right. like I always used to say ambition is like the stomach acid of your spiritual life. Yeah. Too much will make you sick. Too little, you're not digesting things and moving forward. Like I have to have some sort of drive. And you can't just sit around and say That'll pray. that's the best sermon on stomach acid I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Some of y'all need a Nexium. Some of y'all need God to digest this. You take this little purple <laughs> pill of Jesus. Uh, it, it, but it, it's like this. How do I balance that? Is I have to be willing to look at it and yeah. go, "Hey, I'm, it's going to be okay." I'm, I'm probably always going to be a little more introspective on mm-hmm. my. Uh, internal motivations towards what I'm doing to platform build. Like, you know, that's just, yeah, we were taught, we were really raised to be so suspicious of our motivations that it can be crippling sometimes. Like what, what if Thomas Edison was like, maybe I shouldn't be pursuing like, you know what I'm saying? Like people who have great ideas and are inventors or have like life changing things that they need to offer to society because God gave them these gifts. If they just literally lived in that bubble that we did and where you just feel bad for feeling good, like we felt bad for feeling good a lot of times. And I don't know. Or feelings like self-esteem was bad. Yeah. Almost because like, well, it'll lead to pride. You need to just Uh. be, it's like, okay, but like just having a good sense of yourself and a confidence in yourself, would that be okay? Nope. It's like it's like we're constantly caught in like second guess ourselves. Yeah, and I think that maybe there was good intent there because you do see prideful people, and I do believe pride goes before the fall and all that. But it's like, where's that balance that says like I may have something to offer, and like you said, if you have ambition, there can be a good thing about that, like that because you want to wake up with purpose. You want to like that's okay. I think aligning that purpose with with the right things is the key. I'm and and not again attaching my essential energies. Like one of the things I have to declare to myself is there is more to my identity than who I am as a pastor and a writer. Mm-hmm. And I will have to remind myself of that every day. I will allow everything to be wrapped up in the work I do in those two fields. I will allow my own view of myself to be identical to what I think. I'm viewing myself or others are viewing me in those areas. And then like one, I've said this before, but then it's like, I'm one phone call away always, especially in the writing side from feeling great mm-hmm. or feeling devastated. Yeah. One phone call away from the next project, one phone call away from the next media appearance, one phone call away from finding out the sales are not as good as I thought. And then you're the wind, you're the, excuse me, the, the reed being blown in the wind. Like you're, you're just constantly being tossed by whatever happens. So I have to, but I can't get rid of that once and for all. Again, there's a chain attached. That's not going away. What I can do is be aware it's not going away. And I can disengage that. I may have to do it more than many, many times in a day even, but I can remind myself, mm-hmm. hey, and I just have to say it. It sounds childlike, but hey, Lord, I'm reminding myself and, and I'm I'm reminding you that I'm, my identity is wrapped up in something that you have given me and who I am in you. This, it, it's like, it can't be that because I've done that. <laughs> it's not that I, it, it sounds, it's not to sound holy. It's like, no, no, I've done that. And to your point about the guys who, you know, go on, to do great things and they tell you it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill you. Um, something we talked about maybe before we got on yeah. the air, you know, like 
like I, I want to do great things, but I don't want to think those great things will fulfill me. Like, I don't know if there's a balance between that. Yeah. And can you even learn that lesson until you get right. to that point? Like, it's so weird. Like we want to learn it. It's so much to be so much easier if we could learn from other people's mistakes. But so many times we have uh, to learn from our own. Like if you could just go, oh, that guy made that horrible mistake. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. Like, but so many times you got to be like, I bet I could do it different, though. I bet if I had a million dollars in the bank, I would do the right thing and I would not be a jerk. Yeah. You're like, well, there's you probably will never get to find out. So you can just go on envying that person. But the truth is, you know, what he said was he felt empty and blah, blah, blah. Like we were talking about, like, uh, I think Mel Gibson said that when he made Passion of the Christ. He was like, you realize it's not enough. And like we I saw a pastor preach a sermon around that about like, you know, we need these reminders because we see these people and you like look up to them and then, you know. But we, but we don't believe it. Right. We don't uh, believe it's, it. It's almost impossible to believe. Yeah. Because experience, that's always been humanity's thing. Like Adam and Eve couldn't take God's word for it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, no, no, no. I got to try this. You know, it's a very, <laughs> again, there's, there's some things as a, as a father, yeah. I don't, I don't focus on uh, several things I could be telling my kid all the time yeah. not to do because I know it's just going to make her want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah with, and uh, you know, in comedy, it's about like relatability. So if you see like a really, like there's, there's uh, been a string of like attractive female comics mm-hmm. and they face a lot harder road if they don't address that. Yeah. And I've seen comics come out and do things like talk about how hard it is to be a pretty girl. Yeah. And the audience, you can no. feel the audience go, no, because Sorry. they already have their preconditioned notion that like you walk on a cloud and you don't have any problems, even though it's not true. It's, it's wired into us. To yeah. think that that person is so you just you're you're it's a tough road to hoe if you're going to be like yeah oh, it's so hard to be me you know and they're like no well it's the character is Kevin's wife and this is us uh, the skinny friend yeah who was in therapy early oh right right uh, right with the eating disorder but hers is the one that makes her skinny mm-hmm. and they just all roll their eyes like yeah, it's, it's such just a, furious but yeah. the but the show goes on to show like true depth. The equal brokenness, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it's like you have to, but it's a surprise. It's a surprise to the rest of us watching. Like, oh, you know, same right. thing with Kevin, you know, who's this amazingly uh, buff, you know, movie star who's, you know, just, I, I don't know. I, I think that's why those shows do so well is they, they show us something that we're surprised at, that there's real people. I, I've worked with a few people who, you know, I've written for one in particular, the book never came out. We never actually got through it, but. He had really worked a lot with a lot of major names, mm-hmm. and and there was a lot of millions of dollars trading hands and a lot of scandals and other things, especially in sports worlds, just contract type things. And he was like, "There's just an assumption that people can treat these guys. They can say whatever they want to say about him on Twitter. Yeah, you know, they can come after them because the assumption is if you made five million dollars last year, you know, as this person in athletics, yeah." then you don't have the same problems right. with me. You're gives, immune, yeah. It gives me the right to do that. Um, well, the internet does that to us all anyway. John Acuff said that. He said the internet is ter- slowly turning us into a bunch of ideas yeah. or a stance. So when you attack somebody, you feel like you're attacking a stance, but they feel like they've been attacked as a person. Hmm. You know, And so it's like, yeah, it's it's weird. It's turning us all into ones and zeros and political ideas and like we're letting it happen we see it in real time happening yeah. but it's so insidious and it's happening slowly 
But it, yeah, it's definitely happening. Because I mean, I find it in my own self. You feel this indignation rise up, and you're like, "How could this person be?" And you're like, "Oh, it's a person, though." Like if you ever get one on one with somebody, you're never as mad. Yeah. You know when you can really like talk to a person, but when you see like a post, you're like, you're mad, so mad, and you imagine you imbue these all these characteristics in that person. What this person must be? How could they think this way? Yeah. But if you ever were to sit down and have lunch with them, it's a totally different ball game. And so that's what I don't know. And you almost feel guilty or like a sellout for humanizing. Like you do, yeah. you have to. Like we forget the gospel calls us to humanize, right? And to listen to our opponents, um, and not see them as flesh and blood opponents. Like we don't have a flesh and blood opponent. Yeah, that's our real enemy. So, but it feels though like that we're we're crossing lines in morality, which we have kind of set you know morality is now like the basis for the whole faith <laughs> and so i'm not saying morality is not a part of faith but it's like that's our defense no i can dehumanize this person in the name of morality and call yeah. it christianity and you're like ooh, you know like because jesus he totally preached the truth you know and when he was around sinners and you're like jesus relationally reached people and there's a lot of people that did not believe who were spitting on him, you know, as he was, I mean, carrying through the streets who had watched him preach. So, like, you can't even judge him by the outcomes of his three yeah. years of earthly ministry since they all abandoned him at one point. Right. He was willing to offend, but not in that way. He wasn't offending them, calling them to their sin. They actually re- repented when he called them to their sin because of the relationship. He, he, they left him when he was very bold about the real gospel and about their intentions. And that was two believers for the most part. That's when they all left him. Mm. So it wasn't the same, again, same kind of thing, him turning over the tables in the temple wasn't him turning over tables of sin by the common people. Those are the common people who are being um, discriminated against by false fees and taxes and other things. He was turning over a system of saying, hey, this is not what my father's system, what his gospel is about. So anyway, wow, we could do that all day. It feels like a good time to promote our Patreon. Yeah. Hey, guys, um, go to uh, – <laughs> <laughs> If you do enjoy these kinds of conversations, man, you can go. Hey, we had a patron this week. Uh, yeah. and it was so fun and kind, and uh, they increased their patronage by five dollars. What? That meant, meant a lot. Yeah. So thank you. I'm not going to say who from, they are. From zero to five dollars. No, no, no. But you know I, who you are. So thank you for that. that I I met a few people who are fans of the show at the Zany Show. Nice. And they they were so excited to meet me, which is always a thrill to me too. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is kind of neat. And uh, you know what's funny is this is coming out Monday. And I'm going to be at Zany's again Tuesday, and I'm opening for a very special show by a WWE legend, Wow, Mick Foley. Come on, man. Mankind, y'all. Dude love. John. Uh, Cactus Jack. He's, he goes by many names, John. <sighs> but he's going to tell, like, old wrestling stories, which is, like, such a thing for me. You know, I have an, a huge, like, that's my childhood. And uh, being put in the figure four leg lock by my older brother and mm. just, you know. Uh, until I learned to reverse it, and then that was the day wow. that things changed for me. But anyway, uh, yeah, I got the because I was trying to get tickets for me and Curry to go, and then the club booker said, "Hey, do you want to just come do a set? He needs a clean opener." And I was like, "Ah, uh, oh, yes. Where do I sign?" Yes, and he was like, "So anyway, so I'm gonna get thrown through a table. Forget turning the tables over, dude. If We're you don't gonna... get him to jump off the top rope and take you down, like... there's no rope, John. It's a comedy club. Johnny, bring a rope. Okay, bring." <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, if you want to uh, come see that, I'll be doing a set. And then Mick Foley's going to 
I think he'll take questions and do like a bunch of cool old behind the scenes wrestling so stories. And that is Tuesday night, October twenty sixth. Yes. At what time? Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Tuesday night, October twenty so, yeah, sixth. Last, last, last chance to get tickets if you want to do that. That would be fun, and I'd love to see you there. Yeah, she go. go but it was you. great seeing him. You know, it's, the show was so fun, and uh, thanks to everybody that came. And uh, and also go to talk about that podcast.com where you can find all of our one hundred eighty plus archived episodes. Yeah. Hey, you know, we have over 100 ratings there, but if you haven't rated us, you don't even have to review it. You can actually just, just go rate it. And, and that rate helps uh, whatever the yeah. weird, mysterious bots send out their minions to get ourselves in front of other people. Yes, we care about them. We even, do. We reach people and bots with this show. Mm-hmm. So, man, we really step outside. Bots matter. <laughs> they, it, they're doing something. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Bots need to hear the truth. <laughs> <laughs> what if you found out that, like, a lot of people that were listening to the show were not real it was that they were um would it bother you or would you be like well look i think i might i don't know would we quit yeah (laughs) (laughs) no because we just said the value of the show is not yes if i found out no one was listening i don't know yeah then we could just go do this at lunch you know what i'm saying yeah it's true so we do that too though we already had breakfast but it is time for lunch now let's go yeah round two I can't. I got to get ready for uh, that huge Tennessee win tonight over Alabama. If it happens, well, this is, it will have already happened, and yeah. it will be the largest upset in two decades. Oh, easy. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I don't feel it. Uh, no. I don't feel confident. No, I don't think it's going to happen. If we were a little more, a little deeper, possibly. If yeah. we had all of our guys and all of Alabama's bitch on our team. And maybe their coach. Right. And possibly their culture. But, and they all had COVID. Right. And... <laughs> <laughs> hey guys it always means a lot that you join us and uh pay hey stay tuned for a possible live recording we've heard some from our oh listeners. yeah we've been uh, yeah. we've been trying to get some momentum for that so 200th episode we're looking at maybe doing a live recording yeah so you know maybe not but maybe so so keep sending us a few of you let us know you'd be interested in if you haven't let us know reach out and let us know so, yeah otherwise we'll see you next week on talk about that Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.